You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? This is Frank Cottle, and I want to welcome you to the Future of Work podcast and our guest, Reeves Weideman. Reeves is a contributing editor at New York Magazine, and he has also previously written for The New Yorker, New York Times Magazine, Rolling Stone, Harper's, Men's Journal, and many other publications. His recent book, Billion Dollar Loser, might be $50 billion loser, um, uh, discusses in depth the rise and fall of WeWork, and it's his first book. Reeves, welcome. Thanks for having me, Frank. Uh, happy to do so. A really great uh, topic, uh, especially today with so many new companies uh, entering the marketplace and entering the public marketplaces. Mm-hmm. You know, in your book, you outline a, a, a number of topics and issues, but to simplify things, are there a big three in your view, uh, uh, reasons why when we look at WeWork, we saw the disruption and the challenges that they faced and candidly how they failed to, to deal with the, uh, the situation? Is there a big three from you? Uh, I'll try to get to three, but I, I, I can at least sort of give you my kind of high level thoughts of, of what happened, which, which I, I think... Um, is is a company that that had a good idea, um, you know, made made offices that uh, built offices that that people liked and and expanded um, pretty pretty remarkably quickly, even even in its kind of earliest days. And there are a couple inflection points along the way where where I think WeWork went from, you know, a company that provided a, a pretty great service that obviously you know wasn't the only player in the market, but but had a variety of advantages and a variety of reasons that that its its um its spaces appealed uh, to consumers. Um, and then I think at a, at a certain point, um, it it started to grow uh, beyond its capabilities, and and that was both in the expansion of its office leasing business, its co working business, um, all all over the world at a, at a sort of very rapid pace. And then, obviously, it's it's expansion into other businesses, um, into uh, apartments, into schools, uh, into gyms, um, all kinds of different things that uh, don't necessarily come from the same expertise. And and I think you know when you when you look at at what happened here um, in in 2017 when when WeWork uh, when Adam Newman uh, met Masayoshi San. The founder of SoftBank and came out of there uh, with a four billion dollar investment and uh, a, a mission to really supercharge WeWork's growth. Um, I think in a lot of ways you can look at that moment as as a moment when if if that hadn't have happened, WeWork m- may have become a, a a nice you know steadily growing business. Um, but from that moment when when the company decided to sort of supercharge its growth. Uh, I think. I think with some some hindsight, um, it 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 grew just too big, too fast, in in too many different directions, and eventually sort of lost control. Well, you know, I I, I certainly agree that that was a tipping point for the company. Um, but it was on that trajectory mm-hmm. already in many respects. 
um, it seemed to me that the company had a very much a, it positioned itself and tried to position itself in the market. And I'm sure you've spoken with many market analysts from different financial institutions, just like I do regularly. Um, and it tried to position itself not as a flexible workspace or co-working company, but really as a technology company. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, in order to look techy, it sort of had that growth at all costs attitude. But the reality was it was a asset intensive, mm-hmm. capital intensive business to scale. And the hidden issue behind its scaling was the massive, massive amounts of leasehold debt that it had, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to its uh, capital burn. Mm-hmm. A software company only, or a tech company only has the capital burn. They don't have billions and billions or hundreds of billions of dollars worth of debt piling up underneath that, generally. Right. Um, so that, to me, that was a, a, a factor that a lot of people didn't really recognize. Certainly in the financial institutional world, they didn't recognize it. Yeah, and I, and I think there, there were a couple of things there. There's, there's certainly um, very early on, as, as early as, as 2012, um, Adam Newman unveiled this idea that WeWork was building a physical social network, that it wasn't just a, a real estate leasing business. And, and certainly um, he attempted to sort of tie WeWork to the growth of, of Silicon Valley um, in ways that, as I talked to, to WeWork employees, you know, one of them put it, who, who, a person who was there sort of for, for a number of years, kind of trying to develop technology within the company, they were searching for the holy grail. They were searching for what was the piece of technology that would actually fulfill the promise that, that Adam was, was making sort of to investors and, and to the public. Of course, they never quite found that. And, and it's, it's arguable whether that was, was a, a failure of, of, of finding that, or if it was just sort of an impossibility and, and a sort of ridiculous idea um, on its face. And, and I think certainly, you know, the investors, not just SoftBank, but others who poured money into it, wanted to believe that, that Adam and, and the company were, were going to find some technological way to completely disrupt this, this business model. Um, because if, if you could do that, you could make a lot of money. Now, uh, clearly in, in hindsight, um, it, it's, it seems like clearly WeWork did not do that. And, um, and, and, and the, the question again was, was whether, uh, whether it was even possible in the first place. Well, you know, I think that that's, that really begs a question. You know, no one ever has found the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's never a good thing when when uh, that's what you're you're searching for. Yeah, yeah, I, it 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 really is, and it's funny. I know I earned the enmity of of their head of their marketing department in a, a meeting in London one time when I referred to WeWork as honestly nothing but reaches with a paint job. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, if you looked at their centers, if you looked at their business, um, it always comes down to that all businesses ultimately are judged and defined by how they make their money. Mm-hmm. And we were <clears throat> never um, departed from the lease long rent short model of selling desk space. Mm-hmm. You might call it co-working. You might call it uh, workstations. You might call it drop-in stations. You might add <clears throat> community to it and a variety of other things. But ultimately, they were renting space. And that's how they made their money. Um, and 
you can't you you can't escape that. Uh, you can't say, well, we make our money running desks, but it's really software. You you, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I think that more and more people recognize that as time went on. Yeah, certainly, and I think you you and others were were pointing this out along the way, and and I think you know there was there was a, certainly a tension inside. I think a lot of people at WeWork um, recognized that, but they but they almost didn't want to believe it, or they they wanted to believe that there were these other ways that they were going to make money. Of course, they they tried in a variety of ways to to charge uh, additional services. Um, they were expanding into. Um, offering services to, to enterprise companies and and not just selling individual offices and and those end up kind of being different businesses and and it was I, th- I think really hard to to actually um, put those all under under one umbrella that that would make sense and and that would make sense in in a way that would meet the expectations of, of WeWork's investors it it couldn't just be an office leasing company at the amounts of money that that it it was raising um, it would never return. The amount that that the investors were demanding. So, in in certain ways, the company got itself into a bit of a bind. Well, you know, when when your founding CEO announces to the world that he's going to be the world's first trillionaire and become president of the world, mm-hmm. um, that's a big vision mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit beyond uh, normal comprehension for most people. Yeah, uh, I, I think that the company got. Uh, so inside of itself, in many cases, um, uh, and that tension that you talk about was was really quite evident. Um, and a big part of that came, in my limited opinion, at least, from the fact that most of the people that came to WeWork came with the expectation, most of the people, the senior level employees, came with the expectation of a tech company expectation. Mm-hmm. And then ended up having the reality check that that just wasn't the case. And they didn't have the core experience in the basic business that the company was really in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked to, and I'm sure you have too, I know you have many, many people that were involved with the company during this time period and afterwards. And it just seems like they were in a totally different realm as opposed to the core basics of that business model that's proven itself for the last 50 years uh, by many others. Yeah. And I, I think I'd expanded a little bit beyond just people who, who were excited about thinking they were working for a tech company. I think for better or worse, the way Adam Newman talked about the company as, as a company that was changing the world as, you know, making, making a life, not a living, uh, building better offices and eventually eventually talking about the ways in which we work could could make people's lives better even even outside of of their their office lives i think that was really inspiring to to a lot of employees and 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 i know it was for based on on talking to many of them and and i think that's sort of that's what brought people into the company and and for better or worse that was inspiring and that's an inspiring mission is whether you're coming from a, a you know for someone who for instance does come from a, a re, you know these were people from uh big real estate companies or architecture firms or, or or in a lot of cases just straight out of college and and looking for kind of meaning in their in their work and 
and I think this idea that that Adam pushed was like a was a very big selling point um, to those people, and and one of the reasons that so many of them stuck around and and were willing to kind of believe it. They wanted to believe that that the company was was doing all these things, and and in certain ways, um, it it was giving people a, a, a nice day at the office uh, by and large. And then you know once the company's mission statement changed uh, in, in 2019 to elevating the world's consciousness. I think that was sort of a moment where people were, were sort of like, hold on a second. Um, I, I understand the idea of, 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 of a better day at work. Um, I don't quite understand what this is. And, and that I think was a one transition point for people and how they understood the company and, and where some of the skeptic skepticism, at least internally sort of emerged. Well, you know, it's funny when companies, I don't want to say get in trouble, but when they're not fulfilling their vision mm -hmm. um, in business, they generally do one of two things. Uh, they generally pivot, say, oops, we made a mistake. And so we're going to go back this other direction and we're going to correct our mistake mm -hmm. or they double down. Mm -hmm. And I think that we work doubled down. And then doubled down again. Yeah, I was going to say quadrupled down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They kept doubling down, and the market. They, we talk about investors and, and not meeting their expectations. I don't think it would just uh, <clears throat> SoftBank that that pushed the, the the model. I think the the model was really pushed by the founding investors uh, um, who kept manipulating, I'll even say, on the valuation model, mm -hmm. upward and upward, um, to where a lot of investment, institutional investment analysts that, that I speak with, um, they became afraid if they didn't invest, that they would lose out. Mm -hmm. um, it was the old fear and greed principle. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're bouncing those things back and forth. And right. usually greed overcomes fear all the time. So even while a lot of them knew it was speculative and they were even skeptical about it, they were afraid to be left out of the yeah. party, uh, which is happens quite on, often in Wall Street. Yeah. And it's, it's impossible to sort of separate WeWork from, you know, it, it, it's, it's both, uh, you can't lump it in with, with the Silicon Valley companies that emerged over the past decade in, in certain respects, because it, it was ultimately not a technology company. But I think when you think about startup valuations and the fundraising environment of the 2010s, that is a, a huge part of the phenomenon of WeWork, where for a variety of reasons, um, institutional investors were looking for big bets. Uh, the market was booming and, and, you know, you had to sort of prove yourself. And, and one way to prove yourself was to uh, find these these unicorns and these companies that were, you know, uh, some of them might flame out, but but some of them are, are, are going to become the next Googles or Facebooks or Ubers or, or whatever they might be. And and that's the environment that WeWork was was raising money in. And, and it was the the company sort of saying, you know what? What Uber was saying about transportation, WeWork was saying basically we can do that in in real estate. And and I think a lot of investors, and to your point, ones well before SoftBank, 
took a look at the numbers, took a look at the models. In a lot of ways, they were not real estate experts. Um, and, and so, you know, they may not have known exactly what they were looking at, but, but they knew enough to know that, that um, the models didn't necessarily support it. But there was a hope. There was a hope that that um, WeWork might be the one to be able to kind of break the rules of of the real estate business, and and that I think, as much as anything, is is what kind of funneled so much money into the company. Well, you know, a, a lot of these companies looked at WeWork as part of the sharing economy, mm-hmm. and one failure in that regard is let's use your Uber example. Um, with Uber. The driver shows up with their own car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with WeWork, um, uh, you had to build the car, design the cars, build the cars, yep. sell the cars, uh, drive the cars, etc. So the analogy of the two models um, really fails in on just about every test, and yep. yet WeWork perpetuated it, and the investment community allowed them to. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, pretty, pretty abysmal. And it, it is funny that the divide that I saw in the investment community, there were half the people that said, Oh, we got to do this. we got to do this. The other half, the people said, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. You know, it was a real big divide in the yeah. investment community. Um, and, uh, now, uh, the, the largest percentage of people that we work with, um, uh, are are people that got sucked in uh, and are trying to figure out where the industry is going to go and if they're ever going to get their money back out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, one of the good things that WeWork did, one of the wonderful things that they actually did is they, they brought so much attention to the whole concept of flexible work, which had been around for years, decades mm-hmm. in fact, but had never been looked at as inspirationally as we were was able to to, to do, um, or or gain the uh, the traction within the investment uh, community that we work was was able to. Yeah. So over the long haul, uh, we look back on this ten years from now, we're going to see an industry pivot point, if you will, hmm. um, or tipping point where all of a sudden, because of we work and and IWG Regis that group as well, but but a lot we work in this case um the investment community is now really looking at that flexible workspace sector and every aspect of it and that in itself will drive an amazing amount of change particularly as the large corporations start migrating to that model as a result of the pandemic and and in many cases they were doing so already So in, in that regard, as we look at WeWork, it, it's a huge contributor, in my view, to the industry at large. And, and uh, uh, that has to be considered when you look at the, the history of the company. Yeah. And as I, as I talk to other you know, co-working flex space operators, it, it, when I first started talking to people, I was curious if there was a certain amount of jealousy of, of Adam. And this was particularly, you know, my reporting began before the, the company's IPO fell apart when, when things were still kind of riding high. And, and I think there are probably a few people who, who wished they, they could have been the, the Adam Newmans of, of this business, but, but by and large, people were grateful. And, and people, you know, the, a lot of the people running these companies didn't want to run a globe-spanning 
um, world-changing operation. They wanted to run their one or two spaces or maybe half a dozen or, or, or maybe a few dozen uh, spaces if, if they got really big. And, and they were grateful to, to WeWork for kind of laying the groundwork um, for this. And I'm obviously very curious, sort of, you know, that's that's the moment we're in in kind of now is is frankly where WeWork started. You know, WeWork launched out of out of the 2008 financial crisis um, when when rent was cheap. And um, Adam, you know, again, they, they were not the only flex space operator at the time, far from it. They were not the first, but they had the ambition to to push and, and, and to grow and and to sort of make this what was it at the time, a, a somewhat new model or, or at least parts of it um, into something of a, of a standard. And, and I am curious, you know, the, the current moment has, has obviously involved all kinds of disruption. And I'm, I'm certainly curious what kind of new models are emerging. WeWork is, of course, attempting to kind of position itself as, as um, uh, the, the organization that's going to do that. I imagine there will be others who, who may be cooking up something now or, or in the months and years ahead? Well, you know, you know we're, we're in a whole different economic cycle right now and, mm-hmm. and have a lot of outside pressures due to the COVID pandemic. But if we remove COVID from the, from the equation for a moment, just say we're in going to slide into a recession, recessive cycle, um, uh, then what historically has happened is as the market goes down, uh, rents get cheaper, and at a point in time, they the market flattens out, and then it starts to rise again. Well, during that flat period, historically, is when the flexible workspace industry has actually gained the most square footage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, if, if we say, uh, using a simple example, that in November of 2019, uh, a, a square foot of space in the market cost a dollar. Mm-hmm. And then we look at companies and, and in 2018, we say it cost uh, 95 cents. In 2017, we say it cost 90 cents. Mm-hmm. So during that three-year period, uh, the, the market was fairly high. But as we look forward, we can say, you know, in 2021, 22, I think the market's going to be 70 cents, mm-hmm. 80 cents. Mm-hmm. So as others who are well capitalized come in, and take market at that, take space of that 70 to 80 cents, they can actually make a profit below the basis and operating cost of a company like WeWork, which grew massively in mm-hmm. 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. and has at the very top of the market. Yeah. Um, a, a, another company, even a local company, can, can have a lot, much lower basis and operating cost. And candidly just move market share because they can make a profit and WeWork can't at their higher basis. So in order for WeWork to do what they're talking about doing, they're going to have to completely rationalize their portfolio from a cost standpoint. Uh, And uh, just as IWG is doing right now, um, same thing. Mm -hmm. They just have a a broader base and a broader base in time. Yeah. Um, But that is going to have to happen or, you know, little local companies will be undercutting WeWork with an equally nice product. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you see a lot of property companies themselves saying, you know what, we want a service. As Sam Zell said decades ago, 
when he got into the industry. So we want to service the entire life cycle of our customer base. Mm-hmm. So we want them from startup through 10 floors, mm-hmm. uh, through their corporate, new global corporate headquarters. And as property companies begin adding that, it will restrict the amount of available office inventory for independent operators such as WeWork or IWG or, mm-hmm. or other smaller operators. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, I was having a conversation with kind of a group of, of, um, of smaller operators about the book uh, recently. And, you know, I told all of them, I'd rather be you than WeWork. And, and I think it's, it's going to be, you know, they were all talking about kind of the various ways in which they were trying to adapt to this moment. And none of it's easy, um, and and the path forward isn't clear. But but I think it's a lot easier to be flexible and and to adapt when you've got a handful of of spaces that you're responsible for that you're paying the uh, for for the lease on, and as opposed to WeWork, which which still even even as it's curtailed its growth has more than 800 um, now uh, uh, around the world. And and to your point, um, you know something in the neighborhood uh, certainly over half of those. Um, where, where leases signed uh, at, at the peak uh, of the market and, and probably much more than that. So they're, they're going to, they, they are, I think, trying to, to turn the ship, but, um, you know, it's, it's uh, more like turning the Titanic than it, than it is a, a little speedboat. So I'd, I'd rather be in that position. Well, you know, I've been a sailor all my life <laughs> and it's a lot more difficult to turn a ship sailboat of anything in, on the ocean mm-hmm. in rough water mm-hmm. and right now you've got the combination they need to turn the ship but you also have very very rough water mm-hmm. um, and that is going to make it even more challenging not just for them but for everybody that, that might need to do that mm-hmm. uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how how this this all plays out mm-hmm. <clears throat> reeves it, it's you, you've done a great job in, in, in completely in, in, in painting a complete picture of WeWork, um, uh, not just the challenges, but so many of the very good things. Mm-hmm. If one wanted to get a copy of your book, uh, when does it come out up to public and, and how would one get a copy of it? Yeah, so the, the book is being published on October 20th, um, and uh, it, it should be available pretty much wherever. It's obviously on, on, on Amazon and available through Barnes & Noble, but also uh, any, any local bookstore um, should, should have uh, the book available. And, and yeah, I think to your point, um, you know, the book is about the rise and the fall, it's, and, and I think, um, you know, it, it would be it would be simplistic to to sort of just say that um, you know Adam Newman was crazy and uh, this company was doomed to fail. I think it's it's more complicated than that, and I, I think hopefully um, we've done a decent job in the book of of kind of you know explaining uh, both both the good parts of the company and and the way things um, went south. Well, I think no, I think you've done a fabulous job of it. And- I would encourage everybody within our industry to to take a look at this and read this book. Um, very few things um, allow an objective, insightful um, opportunity to look at something within our industry. And uh, Reeves, I think you've done a, fa- a fabulous job of it. And I want to thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. 
Are you ready? 